So I was reading, um, or I wasn't reading, I was watching, um, I was watching a documentary on George Marshall. Anyone recognize that name? George Marshall? A couple of you? Yeah? Anyone ever uh, remember, um, anyone ever remember reading about or hearing about in your history classes, your U.S. history classes, hearing about the Marshall Plan? Post-World War II, the plan of reconstruction of Europe, the plan to assist the European countries dealing with the poverty and the homelessness and the, the desperation that those countries were in, were in following that, um, that war. And, um, and George Marshall was um, the man behind the plan. Anyway, I was watching this video um, this documentary, which was is about 25, 26 years old or, or more now. And one of the, something struck me in that video. Um, it was 1938. George Marshall had been a general for a while, and he was now serving as um, the chief of staff of the army. And um, <clears throat> he had a very influential position. And um, the, the world was, was changing, the world was uh, in, in, in chaos, but there was the United States kind of secure in its borders, uh, firmly isolationist. Um, we're not going to do anything. The world may be going to hell, but we have our, our interests. We are not going to get sucked into another um, world war. We don't want we, we to experience what we experienced in 1917, 1918. We don't want to see 150,000 of our, of our soldiers um, die on the battlefield. For what? For somebody else's problems. And so the U.S. was, was isolationist. And, and, um, and, and something struck me as I was watching this documentary. And Now, I haven't had a chance to verify all of these numbers, but I've got to take... I've got to take their word for it, um, that if at this point that probably would have been corrected. But uh, this, the information they shared is that in 1938-39, while Germany was taking over Western Europe, attempting to, the United States Army had about 174,000 soldiers. I don't, know if, I don't know if you, I don't know if the number connects with you. Right now, currently, today, um, in the U.S., the Army numbers a little shy of 500,000 active duty soldiers. In 1938, just prior to World War II, the U.S. had 174,000 soldiers. They had 490 machine guns. They had 40 tanks. 40 tanks in the army in 1938. And George Marshall said, we got to do something about this. The world is turning upside down. If we're not prepared for this, we're, we, we won't be ready. We need to train. We need to bring people in. We need to initiate the selective service. We need to start a draft and we need to start building up the forces and we need to start creating uh, the, the weapons that we, that we may need to use in case war does break out, in case war does come to our shores, in case 
we do get brought into this conflict that is brewing. It, it's hard to imagine the, the shift because in just, a, in just a few short years, the army had more than 10 million soldiers serving. Thousands and thousands of tanks. Thousands and thousands of bombers. Thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of weapons. To, uh, it got to a point where people were saying, the army, you've, you've got too much stuff. And George Marshall said, this may be the first time in the history of history that an army has too much resources. Because every army, every conflict ever fought, the army's scrambling for resources. Scrambling to get things to the front line where they're needed. The need was so great and, they, and he created a plan to not, not, before the war began, he created a plan to get people on the battlefield, to get people trained up, so that they were able to meet the great need there was of the time. Well, we, um, in this passage that we're going to look at today, Acts chapter 6, we're seeing something like that happening here. Maybe not on the scale of a, of a great world war, but the stakes, I would argue, are just as high, in fact, higher. The stakes are eternal. The stakes are, will we be able to meet the great needs of God's people? Will we be able to complete the mission that God has given us? Or will it all fall apart for lack of servant leaders. So let's look at Acts chapter 6 together. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Um, we'll, we'll look through those today and, and um, let God speak to us um, through it. But if you would, um, now that you've found Acts chapter 6, would you stand with me in honor of God's word as I read this aloud? Acts chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this, and I pray that you will speak to our hearts today. Help us to understand, yes, understand the, 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 the words, understand the situation, understand the context in this, uh, of this story, but also understand how it applies to us and how we need to be obedient 
to you as well. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Thank you. So I want to explore this, this big idea today, that the ministry of service makes healthy gospel growth possible. The ministry of service makes healthy gospel growth possible. What we see um, in, this, in this situation, at this point in the story of Acts, um, uh, in fact, if you go back, if you turn the clock back about three years, um, we actually looked at this passage in, in a sermon series uh, working through the first few chapters of Acts. And, and so we've been here, here before, we've seen this passage before, but here in the book of Acts, um, things are, 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 are moving and shaking. There's all kinds of stuff going on. Acts begins with the ascension of Jesus. The, the disciples receive the Holy Spirit. Um, the gospel breaks out. People are hearing the gospel. People are responding to it. People are being added in number to the church. Um, the gospel is on the move. It is growing. And there are along the way, there are many growing pains and here we see um, during this time when the, when, the, when the disciples are increasing in number a particular instance of growing pains of, of the, the church recognizing the, uh, certainly the apostles recognize this, the twelve recognize this, they, they said uh, we can't handle all of this there's so much stuff going I mean, there's so much need, the need is so great we need help in this we can't do it all of our, all ourselves. We can't do all of this and still preach the gospel. We can't do all this and still minister the word. So we need this ministry of service. We need to find some people who can who can meet this need. In um, Deuteronomy one, that passage that we read uh, that we heard earlier, in Deuteronomy one, Moses is recounting. Uh, what happened 40 years prior when they were coming through the desert and Moses was overwhelmed. We don't get there as, as actually Moses' father-in-law, excuse me, Moses' father-in-law was the one who said, hey, what you're doing, you're going to burn yourself out and you're not going to be able to serve. How can you go hear from God and then speak God's word to the people and teach them and lead them like that when you're dealing with all of these other administrative things? You need to find people to help you out with that. In fact, that story was so significant that it's not only found, it's not only recounted there in Deuteronomy 1, but the details of it are in Exodus chapter 18. It's a, it was such an important moment in the life of Israel, in the life of God's people, that it was repeated in Deuteronomy. Not everything from Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers was repeated in Deuteronomy, but that was, that was significant, that was important. In fact, what we see right here is almost the exact parallel to Deuteronomy 1. Did you catch that? Did you recognize that? I mean, I could have just preached from Deuteronomy 1 and, and probably made the same emphasis to our hearts and our lives today. But it's the same thing. The need was great. Moses couldn't handle it all. And so what does he do? He says to the people, choose Men from among you that have these qualifications. And then I will appoint them to this duty. And what do we see here in this story? Um, the twelve saying, hey, we're getting overwhelmed. We can't do all of this work ourselves. We're only, we're only individual people. And now they had twelve of them, but the church in Jerusalem was not more than 3,000 people. They couldn't do it all themselves. They said, choose these men and then we will appoint them, lay hands on them to this duty. And 
What did, it, what did Moses say? And what I said pleased you. And you guys agreed with it. And what's going on here? They're going, oh yeah, uh, we agree with that. That's a good idea. We need to do that. The ministry of service makes healthy gospel growth possible. Look at what's happening there. The, the disciples were increasing in number. There's a problem. They address that and they go, hey, we, can't, we cannot give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, they're not demeaning the serving of tables. You know, don't, don't misunderstand what they're saying. But they are, what they are saying is that we have been tasked to preach the gospel. The whole point of the book of Acts and the whole point of the growth of the church and the whole point of why we exist is to expand the gospel, to advance the gospel. It's that important. What did Jesus say? Matthew 28. Verse 18. Those are, those are, our, those are our, 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 our standing orders as Christians. They are standing orders as Christians. Our, our commander-in-chief has given us those orders to us. Yeah, his intent is built into that. His, his plan for us is built into that. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them. And he's with us always. That's, those, those are our orders. That's what we do. And then in Acts chapter 1, Jesus reinforces that and He says, here's, here's, here's the deal. Uh, I'm not leaving you all alone. Here's how I'm going to be with you always into the end of the age. The Holy Spirit is going to empower you for this, this work. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's from Acts chapter 1 verse 8. And all of the rest of the story is how the disciples practiced that and lived that out and how they obeyed that. And for us then, we sit here and we should go, how am I doing that? Yes, there are many, many physical needs. They need to be met. But those who are tasked to preach and teach, those who are in, in the position of elder, pastor, shepherd, overseer, have to focus, have to maintain their, their focus and their attention on this particular task of preaching the Word. It's really a question of, of priority. It's a question of priority. For the apostles, for the twelve at this time, they said, our priority has to be the ministry of the Word. This has to be a priority for us. The ministry of service is important. It has to be done. In fact, it, it, without the ministry of service, healthy growth, uh, healthy gospel growth in the church and in a community, in a city, is going to be stifled. Absolutely. It's going to be hampered. Because without the ministry of service, the ministry of the Word is going to be hampered. They were seeing that and they were like, man, we are overwhelmed. So let's do what God's people did back in the day. <laughs> they said, appoint these men. Appoint these men. So the, that's, the first thing we see there in that whole issue is that the ministry of service addresses genuine need. 
addresses genuine need. Here's here was with the need. A little background. I don't want to get in the weeds on this, but the, the, the issue was a complaint by the Hellenists against the Hebrews. What are these terms? <laughs> the Hellenists were Greek-speaking people. They were probably Greek-speaking Jewish people at this time. They were living in Jerusalem. Um, some, some scholars believe that um, and there's, there's evidence of that. They believe that the background of this is, is that there was a large number of people from all over the known world at the time, Jewish people who had lived their lives in other places, in other cities, and in their retirement age, they moved to Jerusalem. Kind of, Jerusalem was kind of like the Florida, you know, of, of the U.S. You know, it's where the people retire from the East Coast. They move down to Florida. They move into these retirement communities. And that's kind of what was going on here. People were moving to Jerusalem. It was the promised land. They had grown up in other places, but as they got older, they said, we want to, we want to spend the rest of our twilight years in the, the, the city and the place of our, of our, of our national identity and of our, and of our faith. And so there were many people living in Jerusalem at that time who were like that. But consider, consider their situation. They were moving there from somewhere else. They didn't have family with them. Very few of them did. So there were many people, many widows at this time, who didn't have that support network. And so how were they receiving support? Well, they were receiving support through the church. The church was serving them. The church was helping them. But it came about as, as the needs grew and the church grew that they were sort of left out. These were women who were being kind of left out of the, the benevolence ministry, the, the service that was taking place. Maybe it was a language barrier. Maybe it was a cultural barrier. Maybe, maybe some of, the, some of the, the, the leaders didn't recognize the need. Maybe they were just overlooking them. They were being neglected or overlooked in the daily distribution. Whatever the, the exact details of the situation, it posed a problem. And it was such a great, it, it was such a great issue that there, were, there was friction going on. There was complaining. There was grumbling. You can almost see, you know, kind of harken back to the, to the time of Israel in the desert when grumbling was taking place because they're like, we don't have what we need. So that was the situation, and, and this ministry of service then was intended by the, uh, by the twelve to address this genuine need. This was a real need that needed to be dealt with. Um, think of, think of um, just let's think together about our church. Let's, let's make this real practical. Think about the needs in our church. Do you know that these, church, these chairs don't set themselves up every Sunday morning? Do you know that these microphones don't get plugged in? Um, lamps don't get, don't get set up? Tables don't... Have you ever noticed uh, the, the stack of tables in the corner during a worship gathering? No, you haven't noticed that during a worship gathering because they're not there. Somebody comes in every morning. Somebody's come in every morning and move about... 12 tables from this corner and stacks them out in the hall. You probably don't even recognize them as you're walking in and out. So much stuff happens. You know, somebody has to hang that, that flimsy, dirty sign out front to say, Welcome to the River Church. We're, ch we're chill. We're chill, okay? Somebody has to hang that sign. Do you know that somebody has to print bulletins? 
Um, somebody has to, um, to pay bills. We actually we do have bills as as a as a church. Somebody has to organize events. Somebody has to plan Bible studies and and plan other things. You know, somebody's going to have to be at that booth this weekend at Hopfest. Somebody uh, puts does all of the work to to love children during summer children's program to provide little snacks for them or to man the registration table or to tell stories or to plan little activities for the kids to run around and, you know, do, do this and that. And somebody has to cook the hot dogs. You know, somebody has to pop the popcorn and serve that and pour the drinks, soda, soft drinks, pour the drinks for the party. Um, it, it, people, there's so much that has to get done. The ministry of service addresses those genuine needs. And you know what? There are needs in the church um, that I'm not aware of. I wish I was. Um, but they're getting met by people who are genuine servants of Jesus. When a need arises, this has been the case for the last five years, when, a, when one of our members is in need, we do our, our utmost best to meet that need. Financially, a new washer dryer, uh, a this or that, a, uh, appliances or a car, you name it, to meet a need. The ministry of service is going on all the time, and it's only growing. And, and as a church, as a church, just to be practical here, as a church, the needs will continue to grow. As the church grows, the needs grow. We have men who have stepped up to the plate, have been recognized by the church body to meet those physical type needs. To, to meet all of those non-word-centered um, or, or, or preaching-teaching type of needs. They're called deacons. Kind of a weird name, but we, we use it. We still use it. It comes from the Greek word diakonos. So, you know, it's basically we're just stealing from the Greeks. They came up with all the good words and we just steal them and switch them around. And, but they're called deacons. And in fact, the word, um, even though the word deacon doesn't appear in this particular passage, um, the, the verbal form of it does. When they say it's not right, that we should give up preaching the Word of God to, to serve tables. The word to serve is that verb form of, of deacon. It, it's almost like if, if we were to do a, a horrible kind of... a horrible translation of it's not right for us to give up preaching the Word of God to deacon tables. You know, I mean, uh, that would be pretty weird to say. But that's what, he's, that's what he's saying. I mean, that's, that's what the apostles are saying. Um, and so, so they're, they're addressing this need and they're saying, this is, this is, this is the need. The, the genuine need exists. We need to be able to meet it. And so one of the ways that we as a church do that and, and churches now over the centuries have done that is by, by um, selecting qualified and called and equipped and, and faithful men who can serve as deacons to meet those genuine needs. 
even though these, these men here, are, they're called the seven, they're given a good number, a good biblical you know, holy God number seven, the perfect number. Uh, they're not called deacons here. I, I like to call them proto-deacons. That's the right term for them. It, it, it's, it's sort of a paradigm for what later became the kind of the division of labor between the ministry of the word that was with the elders and the ministry of service that was with the deacons. So they're proto-deacons. You can quote me on that. That's okay. Um, becomes a paradigm for that kind of service that meets genuine need. So what did they do? Here is the deal. They said, hey, pick out from among you seven men, there you go, of good repute. They have a good reputation, first of all. They're full of the Spirit and of wisdom. And they said, whom we will appoint to this duty. And so they said, yeah, that's a great idea. We like that idea. That is a good idea. Let's do it. And so they do. They chose seven men. Stephen, he gets a good description. He's, he's a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Stephen becomes important immediately in the story. We see Stephen um, very active in the church. Um, then we fill up in Pro Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon. Uh, Pumbaa's not in here, I don't know. But Timon is. Okay? Yeah. So Timon is in the Bible. There. Yeah. Okay. It's for some of you younger ones, um, Parmenas and Nicholas and um, yeah, that rounds out the seven. So they pick out these particular men, and they what they do? They set them before the apostles, and this must have been some like ceremonial setting them before them. And the the apostles, the twelve, they pray and they lay their hands on them. They're, they're commissioning them. They're ordaining them for this particular ministry. That's what's going on. And then what happens in verse 7? What, what's the result of all this? The, the whole issue is resolved in this climactic moment of, yeah, that's a great idea. And they go and they do it and they resolve that. And then, and then what's, what's, what's the result? What's, the, what's life like now that they've done that? Here's what it's like. The Word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Even the priests of all people, those, pe those very religious people who were very, very entrenched in the religious tradition, recognized, hey, this is something real. This is something true. These people are meeting needs and these people are preaching the Word of God, pointing us to Jesus and they recognize it. They become obedient to the faith as well. The ministry of service enables gospel nurture or nurturing or something like that. You, you figure it out. You reword it. Come up with better words and then put it on a comment card and and I'll stress about it all week long. Not really. But the ministry of service enables gospel nurture. The gospel is actually increasing. The gospel is growing. So here's, here's what was happening. It, we, we, you may not see this very well because um, we got this Eng wonderful English translation that would, which translates the words into kind of a natural flowing kind of idea. But, but underneath all of those words, here's what's, the, here's what's happening. In verse 1, there are people, there, were, there are disciples being neglected. In verse 2, 
the disciples say, the apostles say, it's not right for the Word of God to be neglected. If, if, if people are being neglected and we're, and we're trying to deal with that, the Word of God is also going to be neglected. It's going to happen. And, and that's the problem that we're facing. That's, the, the great need is there. The, the, the need not only for, for, people's need, for people's individual physical needs to be met, but for the needs of the gospel to be met as well. And then it turns around. And what happens is you have not only the Word of God growing, but you also have disciples or people growing and multiplying and increasing. So you see, what, see how important this ministry of service is? If the ministry of service isn't happening in a church, the gospel is not going to grow and people are, gonna, are not going to grow. The gospel is not going to multiply and disciples are not going to multiply. So where do we, where do we go? Let me, let me give you a, a real practical um, a practical way for us to apply. I've already said that we have in our church deacons. We have, we have these men who have been selected by the church to serve in a particular way. And as, as elders, um, we have looked around and, man, we've got two deacons and they've been faithful in this church for more than, well, arguably for, for five years. <laughs> Even before we were at church, they were serving faithfully. Um, that's two deacons out of 24-ish members and of 30 to 50 people in worship, and the numbers are larger than that. The people that we, have in, that we influence as a church are greater than 50. But we have two deacons for that, and, and, the, and the work is growing, and as, as, as these men are busy and as they're getting a little bit older, um, you know, we see the need is growing as well. And so we need, well, as a church, we need to be thinking about men who can serve alongside our faithful deacons in much the same way. And maybe in, in, in different ways. It's serving in ways in the River Church that will enable the gospel nurturing to take place and genuine needs to be met in greater ways so that healthy gospel growth actually happens in the River Church. Wouldn't that be a novel idea? That's what we're looking for. That's what, we've, that's what we're about. That healthy gospel growth to the glory of God. So, here's what I want to challenge you to do. Take a look at this slide with me. What is a deacon? It's the next slide. Well, there's, I missed one of them. I missed one of them. I should have put up there. They have good, a good reputation. <laughs> because right here in this passage... Uh, verse 3, seven men of good repute. They have a good reputation. So when, when you hear a, per a particular person's name, what do you think? You think, hey, good man, excellent man, godly man. Uh, do they have a good reputation? And then, are they full of the Spirit? Are they full of wisdom? In other words, in their lives... Uh, would you say, hey, those men are listening to God and being obedient to Him? 
full of the Spirit. They're, they're being led by the Spirit in word and in speech. They're full of wisdom. They know, they don't just have knowledge, but they know how to act on it. To make good choices based on what they know and, and what they have, have received. And then the rest of those, where did those come from? And I don't, I don't see those in Acts. But if you turn to 1 Timothy 3, or if you just jot that down in your notes, you can reflect on this, um, on this, the rest of this list um, from, it's not, yeah, 1 Timothy 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, where, where Paul, writing in a, in a, in a later period of the, of the church's history, where this, this deacon, um, this office of deacon, if you will, has been somewhat... Um, well established it's, or it's, at least it's being established we know it's being established in many of the churches because um, when Paul writes to the Philippians he says to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers or the elders and deacons so we know that at least in the church in Philippi that church has elders guiding them in the word and they have deacons leading out in this ministry of service. And so in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says, here's, here's the kind of men that you're looking for to be deacons, to serve in this way. They're dignified. That's a, that's a tough one to define. It's, a, it's kind of an ambiguous term. It's sort of a catch-all phrase. But it's, it's very similar to that good reputation. They're men who you would trust. They're men who you would look at and go, yeah, godly man. Man who represents me, who I want to represent me, who, who I know serves. He's not double-tongued. He doesn't say one thing and do another thing. He's not addicted to much wine. He's not the kind of guy that you're like, uh, I don't know. I mean, I've seen him a little bit schnookered. Is that a word? He's not greedy for dishonest gain. He's not in it for the money. He's not looking for an edge in life. He's not seen uh, serving as a deacon in his local church as a way to increase his insurance business or his car dealership business or whatever else it is. He's not looking for that. He's, he's able to hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. It, he's not a man who's, who's, who's not concerned about the ministry of the Word. In fact, if, if we have deacons who don't care about the ministry of the Word, that's a problem. Because the whole point of the ministry of service is to complement the ministry of the Word. And so they need to hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. In other words, they're believers. They're members in good standing of the church. They're serving God already with the faith that they have. They believe, just like Stephen is a man full of faith. They hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They, they, have, they live it out. They believe it and they live it out. And... They've been tested. Let them be tested first, and then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Well, that's not perfection. It's not perfection. But it's where you say, hey, we've tested them. These are men who are already serving in this way. These are men we trust. These are men we've observed their life. We've observed their, their ministry. We've had the conversations with them. We know them. They've been tested. And they've proven themselves blameless. Not perfect. But that means they can't be accused of all kinds of nonsense and shenanigans. 
They're the kind of men who, when they sin, they repent. And they put their faith in Jesus. And they grow through that. And we say, you know what? This is, this is the kind of blameless man we're looking for. And then the last couple of, of items that Paul mentions in 1 Timothy chapter 3 about deacons, they're the husband of one wife. They've, they're faithful to that, to that woman that they married. They have been faithful to her. And they've managed their children and households well. That's a big, that's a big junk drawer category. They take care of their, they take care of their stuff. Uh, up above, um, Paul says about elders and overseers, he says, if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? <laughs> if you can't take care of your own stuff, you, you can't take care of the church. It's not going to happen. And so this, this was a big deal for not only for elders, but also for deacons, managing their children and households well. If they're faithful in, in, a, in a little thing, which I would argue is a big thing for God, managing your children and households, your family, it's a big, big thing. But if you're faithful in that, and others can observe that, then you might be qualified then to serve and be faithful in the greater service to the church where the needs get crazy and it's tough and it's grueling and it's like war sometimes. The ministry of service makes healthy gospel growth possible. We've seen that. But finally, if we just if we finish up, just finish up our, our uh, look at Acts chapter 6, I'm going to uh, wrap this up with this, this idea that the ministry of service is empowered by a serving God by a serving God why were they were able to do what they were doing here in Acts chapter 6 why, how were the apostles able to do what they did and the deacons to do what they did because they had been empowered by a God who served them who loved them they were empowered by the Holy Spirit, literally, in Acts chapter 2. That Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, um, the, the, the Godhead, is empowering the twelve and empowering all disciples and empowering the seven to do the ministry that they did. It's only possible to serve like that through Jesus. And and here's what and here's what Jesus did, and um, it's pretty powerful. We're going to look at this passage in more detail as we once we get back into um, um, the Gospel of Mark, our series that we've been working through for a while now. And once we get back into we get to this point, we're going to look at this in more detail. But in Mark chapter ten, um, Jesus is talking to his his disciples and he's teaching them about what it really means to, to, to lead what it really means to be great and in Mark chapter 10 verse 43 he says look it's, this is not how it should be among you not like, not like the world does leadership and authority and greatness but whoever would be great among you must be your deacon that's the word there Whoever would be great among you must be your deacon. And whoever would be first among you must be your doulos, your slave of all. 
Verse 45, For even the Son of Man came not to be deaconed, but to deacon, and to give His life as a ransom for many. Jesus Himself said, I came to be the deacon. Capital D, capital E, A-C-O-N. This is who I came to be. That's why I came. I came to serve you. I came to, I came to wait on your tables. I came to meet your needs. Your need is that you're in darkness. Your need is that you are dying in your sins. Your need is that you will be separated from God for all eternity unless I do something about it. He came not to be served by us or anyone else, but to serve others. And He did that. He did that in His life. He did that in His death. He did that in His resurrection. And, and that empowers our service. In fact, it enables us to be who we are. I've talked a lot about... I've made the point that, that this story is, is a paradigm for how elders and deacons serve in a local church. And some of you may have checked out. Well, he's just talking to a select few people. But I'm not. Because what he's talking about there and what Jesus was talking about and he's calling his disciples to in Mark chapter 10 and, and the list of qualifications that we looked at earlier here's what a deacon looks like you know if you look at that list and you, separate, and you cross out deacon you say what is a Christian it's the same list we've all been called to serve we've all been called to love other people we've all been called to, to embed ourselves in our neighborhoods, in our, our city, and in the lives of our people and serve like this. We've all been called to do that. We have certainly different roles. We all have different gifts and abilities. We all have different uh, uh, areas of responsibility, yes. But we've all been called to this beautiful ministry of service because Jesus has served us so well. Because our God has served us so well. The need is very great around us. There is a war going on. And we are in danger of isolating ourselves from that. But can you imagine hundreds or thousands or millions of people who take the ministry of service seriously for their own lives? Who are, who are in the thick of it. Who have all the resources they will ever need. I'm talking about you and me. In Christ have all the resources that we ever need. The logistics don't run out. The trains don't stop running. We never run out of beans, bullets, or, or billets. We've got everything that we need in Christ to do the work that He's called us to do. A mighty army that God desires to raise up in us and through us to serve our people, to serve our city, to serve our world, to make healthy gospel growth possible through the ministry of service as well as the ministry of the Word. How will you respond to that? What do you need to do to, step, to take that step forward today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll help us obey whatever it is that you're calling us to um, today.
Help us to be faithful. Help us to be joyful in our service to you, knowing that you are the one who empowers this ministry of service because you have served us so well. God, if there's anyone here today who needs to take a step of faith to put their faith and trust in you, or or who needs to um, to take that, that next step, or to, to provide a discerning um, perspective on uh, potential deacons in the church, um, we ask that you will help us to do that by your grace and by the Spirit that empowers us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.